This is a classic podcast from Unqualified Gamers. Hear more at unqualifiedgamers.com. Wait, are we starting? Are we starting? Hang on, are we no, starting? We're, are we're we starting? St- no, is this time? I, are, I we are we going? Are we going? Is this time that we're going? I don't know going? what we're talking about yet. I yeah, literally don't know what we're talking about yet. This episode, we've both been playing Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, by the way, if you don't know what you're listening to, this is, uh, you find your way to Unqualified, a video game podcast. A uh, podcast where two guys that are completely unqualified to talk about video games, talk about video games. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's what we do. Uh, yeah, but I think I think we're not the only ones playing this game. Um, I, <laughs> I can't remember a game that uh, there was such a... Uh, a zeitgeist. He's like, I fucking dropped zeitgeist. I can't remember a game that there has been such a zeitgeist about uh, in recent memory than than this game. Does it seem to you like everybody is talking about it and everybody is playing it? Um. First of all, I have no idea what zeitgeist means. Uh, doesn't it just sound like an awesome word, though? Don't you want to be part of the zeitgeist? Well, uh, it's it's not a Nazi thing, is it? Just say you want to be part of it. Okay, I want to be part of the zeitgeist. Yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, you do. Okay. Uh, it's just what's trendy now. That's, that's, well, it, it's that's, like what, that's like what zeitgeist means. Well, it's funny because you, in in one of our last episodes, talked about how insanely excited you are for Bioshock Infinite. I did. And I, I never I got... stand by that. I was, and, <laughs> and I still am insanely excited about this game. Well, that's good because we have a recording of you saying that. Uh, but I, I had no interest. I, I had no interest in Bioshock 2. Um, I heard it got kind of mediocre reviews. I mean, did you, you play know, the original? I played the original. The original was very good. Most of the complexities and intricacies of the storyline are picked up by picking up audio devices and listening to recordings of other characters. No, we're talking about the first one. We're talking still. about the first one okay, and, yep. well, to a degree, the new one. Well, definitely the new one. I mean, right. but, but I'm saying I don't want to jump into that until we are ready to jump into that. Right no, now, we, we are... No, we won't jump into it yet, yeah. but, but, in, but in the original Bioshock, yes, you had to listen to all these audio recordings, and that was hard to do sometimes. You would listen to one and then immediately get in a firefight. And you're busy shooting and trying not to die and a little too busy doing that to listen to exposition and character development, you know? I, I agree with you. Now, I will say before Infinite came out, uh, in in a day and a half, I played through the original just to play through the original one. And uh, they do make it really simple to uh, just re-listen to it. Like, you just hold down the button again, maybe on a quieter moment, and you can then listen to the to the audio log again. Yeah. By the way, that game fucking holds up. Does really? it ever hold up? Yes, it plays wonderfully still. Really? But yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I, I knew about this story delivery method before I started the the first game, but it didn't really click because I I didn't really commit to it. And I think that since most first person shooters and a lot of games in general have optional things you can pick up for achievements, and oh, pick this up, oh, pick this up. Um, it's not really like you, the developer can't rely on the player to automatically assume, oh, these are really important and I need to listen to all of them when, when you kind of do and that, and that kind of like, by the time I finished Bioshock, I kind of knew what I had done. I knew what I had played. I, I, I had a general idea for everything, but then I go on Wikipedia and I look up like 
what is the philosophy form that they they allude to in that game? Or it's, it's whatever whatever Ayn Rand teaches. Yeah, whatever Ayn Rand teaches, and 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 it gets all deep and philosophical and stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. I wish I could have appreciated that more through the storytelling of the game. And and so with the other Bioshocks, I don't know. I I guess because I didn't feel like connected to the story within the game, I I just kind of lost interest. Yeah, and and. To be fair, you are probably approaching the game as I think any fan of a first-person shooter uh, that's not Bioshock would approach a first-person shooter, and I think that is what sets Bioshock apart so well from so many other first-person shooters, because I, th- I think we can both agree that in general the the story uh, of first-person shooters is is not usually such an emphasized thing. Yeah, I would about, agree with about that. About the game. I mean, a majority of the time, it'll you go from, like, you go running from cutscene to cutscene. There's not a lot of in-game storytelling. Um, and and so, like, a game, you get a first-person shooter, shooter then that, that the, the real emphasis, like, the real beauty of the game is on that storytelling. And if you don't approach it that way, and you don't approach it like, I need to find these audio logs because that is what colors this world... Like if you, if you don't realize that and don't approach it that way, I can see how you'd miss out a ton, because there's a ton of stuff, uh, optional audio logs that you can miss in that first game. Yes, and uh, well, and the new one, from what I've been told, definitely in the new one too. Um, and, and before we get in the new one, I, the my point in saying that the audio stuff happened uh, was to your original question, being part of the Zeitgeist Nine. Um, is that uh, even though I wasn't excited when you said you were excited about it, I looked at reviews and the reviews are are ridiculous. Yeah, it has uh, people, it has been reviewed. It was one of the best reviewed games I can remember. Yeah, I mean, it came, when did it come out? March officially was the release. March twenty sixth. So yeah, it came out in March and it's already being touted as the game of the year so far. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. so far. I mean, certainly so far. But a lot of people are like, oh yeah, this will be the game of the year. It's, I mean, it's gonna be really hard to beat. So um. It was. They were so good, and I, I, I very rarely, very, very rarely buy a brand new video game without considerable uh, forethought. You know, like I knew I was going to get Ninja Gaiden three the second I found out it existed. I pre-ordered Final Fantasy thirteen too. You know, I'm a pre-order guy. I'm a, I'm a. All right, here's the big next, the next big game. I'm going to get it, guy. But these reviews really compelled me, and you did as well, I guess. And there we are. Next thing I know, I have it on my PS3. You're playing it on Steam, right? I did, and uh, and I, I'm sure then, though, you approached this from a storytelling perspective this time. Yes. Knowing everything you know about Bioshock now. Yes, that and that was very... you didn't know when you originally played the original Bioshock. Yes, and that was that was very helpful. I, I wish the programmers would just sort of pop the message at the start, you know, or, or when you get your first Voxophone, it, it has a message like, Pay attention to these; they're very important to the story. You know, just be a little blatant about it, so that newcomers to the genre, thinking, "Oh, first-person shooter, derp derp, run around, shoot things," uh, you know, can understand how to appreciate it better. You know? Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, there are going to be people that d- don't give a shit about the story, uh, and they can just go into this world. They can ignore those voxophones if they want, uh, and they can just shoot everything. I yeah, mean, that's you know, that's a valid way to play this game, I would argue it uh, it detracts a lot from the best parts of the game, but <laughs> I think that is a a way that some people would and probably will play it. Well, it's an option, but but my issue is that some people don't know that that's 
not your only option. You know, yeah. does that make sense? Like, like I, I'm cool with a, a straight-up Halo-type first-person shooter with a terrible or non-existent storyline, where I'm also cool with storyline games. And this one, you know, I played Bioshock, and I just assumed it was the first one, whereas perhaps if I had known I, I could play it as the latter. That's all. It doesn't matter. I Whatever. I played the new one. It doesn't matter. You're, you are playing Bioshock Infinite now. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you know... Whatever. We've come full circle or whatever. Did you want to say anything else about the original Bioshock? Which, by the way, is a pack-in with the PS3 version of Infinite. Which is really cool, because like I said, the original really holds up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if you never got a chance to play it, you know, like, jump on that. Not to mention, Bioshock, uh, for the listeners, if you don't know, was directed by Ken Levine, who is also the director of Bioshock Infinite who did not direct Bioshock 2. So, for all intents and purposes, Bioshock Infinite is the spiritual successor to the original Bioshock, and Bioshock 2 is almost like a standalone story, a standalone product. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, it's it, I would argue that like if you want to get like the canonical experience of Bioshock... Playing the original and then playing Infinite is enough. Like you can, you can, really can skip two. There's some neat stuff in two, uh, but it's not, it's not essential to like the overall storyline. If that's you, what you're interested in. Was the original Bioshock a pack-in with the the uh, Steam version? Uh, it was the way that the Steam pre-order, and we could talk about this for a second. The the way the Steam pre-order worked was this kind of insidious, ingenious pre-order uh, uh, deal where the the pre-order bonuses were based on how many pre-orders they got by Steam. So there were three tiers and if they got a certain number of pre-orders you'd get the original Bioshock. Huh. If you got the next tier of pre-orders you'd get uh, some in-game something. I don't even remember what it was. And then if you got if we got to the third tier as pre-order, and, and keep in mind I did pre-order this, you got a free copy of XCOM Enemy Unknown, which <laughs> is, uh, from what I understand, and I, I've just dabbled in it, like an awesome uh, strategy role-playing game from uh, Maxis. What? Yeah. So, so, like, there's this great, like, free game that we all got as people that pre-ordered Bioshock Infinite. Uh, because of the way that their pre-order system worked, and the reason why I say it's insidious is because you like you could see this progress bar uh, when you looked at the game on Steam, and it's like you know this is how much you've unlocked. So you could, I mean, and I'm sure this was their idea. Uh, was you could then talk to your friends about pre-ordering on Steam because oh, the yeah. more people that pre-order, the more rewards you'll get. So as it's it's fucking genius, and they were really good rewards. So like it's good for it's good for everybody to be honest. Um, they could do it really crappily and give you really bad rewards, but then nobody would tell their friends about it because it wouldn't be worth it. Right. Yeah, that Steam man, everything is dirt cheap and it's ridiculous. But my PC is not hooked up to my TV, so I went with my PS3 this time. Right. Right. You're playing it on PS3, and uh, and and you like it? I don't like the PS3 controller. Have you been over this? I really yes. don't. Yeah, I really don't. Uh, it is absolutely my least favorite controller of of every console possibly ever made. I just hate it. And, it's the uh, it's the convex uh, uh, joysticks, isn't it? Yes, I think that's it. 
I think that's part of it. I really do. I can I can get behind that that that's not a good thing. Especially a for a first person shooter because I I mean I did Goldeneye on N64 obviously, but outside of that first person shooters didn't really reintroduce themselves to me until college. Uh, with Halo 2 and Halo 3 and the Halo games and then Call of Duty, and I played all of those games on 360. So part of it's I'm used to it, but the other part is these stupid convex joysticks. It's, ugh. Yeah, your finger kind of slips off them a little bit. I I think it's a legitimate complaint, and it's one that people have leveled with Sony before. Yeah, and I, I know it's, you've talked about how it's kind of one of the most tried and tested, you know, why change a bad thing controllers ever and like great okay fine i'll give you that but i and i have big hands because you know i'm tall right so maybe that's part of it but uh other than the controller the game is awesome and the controller is not the game's fault (laughs) so i I don't think you can really hold that against against the game that that is entirely accurate yes or maybe the controller is the game's fault we don't know i don't know it's very meta it is, is very meta. So, so how do you uh, like it? Well, the game, the game is for me, for my money, was one of the best games I've ever played. Uh, and you can go back to this game, and um, before we start talking about anything about the story, the the creators of this game are the most adept at, in my mind. I I can't think of a better example of uh, storytelling. Uh, by, uh, by just immersion yes. in the world. Like you, there, there are parts, and especially at the start. So, like it, it's it happens throughout the course of the whole game, but at the start, it is the most apparent. And I had the the strongest feeling that like I could look at stuff for hours, just looking around, and I still felt like I was going to be missing stuff. Like missing some little nods that the that the directors were were trying to tell me about this world. Yeah, because there are just posters everywhere with propaganda. There's there's these voxophones hidden places. There's there's conversations between people that are going on that you can just stand there and listen to. And they're yeah. and they color this world like so much that you get such a strong feeling and a clear picture of this place. And it's it's incredible. It's I just I can't even I can't even describe to the listener how incredible this storytelling mechanism is. Yeah, I, I mean the environment <laughs> from from the first time you're near a radio and it's playing uh, shape note singing music, which is a kind of secular but kind of religious music um, from that era. You know, I heard it and just immediately identified that and all the music. I, I I will tell you I was under an hour into the game and I wanted the soundtrack because the music is I mean not only always fitting but some of the choir music they have is gorgeous it's just a beautiful soundtrack yeah so I mean I don't I don't want to spoil like all that much uh, because the I really feel like everybody could get enjoyment out of this game playing this game so I don't want to like talk too specifically, but I think talking about the first 45 minutes of the game kind of before all the action really starts, I think that that's probably fair game at this point, considering the game's been out for a while. Yeah, let's go. Um, Wasn't some of that in the trailer as well? A lot of it was in the trailer, uh, and I I believe the demo as well. Yeah, we're we're past the the, uh, grace period. And, And honestly, I think that the stuff that is my favorite 
part of the game is is the stuff that is showcased so well in the first 45 minutes anyway. So, uh, how about that beginning, right? Like, like the thing is, and you and I know you haven't completed the game, right? Uh, but do, do you just get the feeling when you're playing it that like there's some weird shit going on? Yes. Yeah, like especially from from that that music that you were talking about, where you hear the barbershop quartet singing "God Only Knows," right? Yeah. Like when you first heard that, because when I first heard that, I was like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> I knew nothing about anything about this game. I kept myself clear of any information. So, like, I heard that, and I'm like, I recognize that song, and and then I just was listening to it more, and I'm like, it's like 1900. This song is not from 1900. So I was like, whoa, that is really weird. Like, that was like the first thing that went through my head when I heard that. Oh, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, some of the technology was a little out of place, but in a in a good way, obviously. Yeah, but but when I, like I said, when I first heard that, I was like, what the hell is like, this is the weirdest thing. Like, and, and obviously some weird technology exists because there's a city floating in the sky. Like, there is a science fiction portion to this story. And if you if you didn't know that you're, there's a city floating in the sky in 1900. <laughs> if you didn't so know that, like, you've been underwater for the last several years. I see what you did there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so so, but just like the 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 opening of the game, like you're you're on this boat. There's two people talking to you, and and just from the first part of the game, they're talking in riddles. Like you can tell they're talking about something, but you have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Uh, so there's that. Yeah, that's what introduces you to the game. And then you get to this lighthouse, and if you ever played the original Bioshock, you it also it starts off in a very similar manner. You start off at a lighthouse, and you go you go down. Well, the scene here, uh, when you're on your way to Columbia, you you go up, you rise into the clouds through one of the coolest, in my opinion, opening scenes of anything ever. Like. My heart, as far as a video game is concerned, my heart was racing when the like those the lights and stuff. Do you remember that when you sat in the chair? I remember that, but it's funny you say that because the original Bioshock is what did that for me. Really? The original Bioshock, just that descent into absolute darkness. Um, because even in the lighthouse, when you're going down the stairs in the lighthouse in the original Bioshock, there's no light. Right, and then when you hit it, when you head into Rapture, though, there's all those lights, and it's like, holy crap, there's this giant city underwater. Oh yeah, but what what did it, for me with the original Bioshock was that it it was scary. I mean, you knew it was a, a kind of a discordant game. It's not exactly, you know, you're going not into a utopian world at all. Uh, and for me, it set up like a horror game kind and of. I- I mean, I think that's what they were going for in the original game. They definitely weren't going for that here. Correct, uh, and, that, and that's fine, and, and I don't think that took away from the beginning, but for some reason the first one struck a chord with me. This one was also beautiful, and certainly a different tone being established. Um, but I'll give it I'll give it credit, but, but either way, these guys know how to open a game. Oh my god, but just like, so you go shooting off into the clouds, uh, and just, there's this beautiful music playing it's it's very quiet when you're like looking over the city as you're in this this what is essentially a bathosphere from the first game that's the thing that the sphere that you move around in in the first game it's essentially that only it flies through the air this time uh but and then you and then you 
kind of land in this dark, uh, like, building with a you're just it's in standing water everywhere and there's like gothic architecture right mm-hmm. and like i i don't know about you but i just looked around because the the game is beautiful yeah i mean i think we can i think we can both agree on that it is it is beautiful yeah so and there are like there it is you can it is obvious there's like painstaking attention to detail yeah, oh, the, uh, the number of artists that it must have taken to just the like you were talking about propaganda posters, artwork on the wall. Yeah, like you go into places that look like museums, and there are paintings of historical events from this world. Right, and there's you know there's just like in the first game, there was uh, Andrew Ryan who was kind of the big the big bad guy uh, for, from the first game. This game has a guy named Comstock who. From from the very beginning, if if he if he is not set up as the villain from the very beginning, it is he's quickly set up as the villain. Yeah. Um, but there are you know giant statues of him uh, with like propagandized uh, messages like on the bottom of them. But the statues are just incredibly detailed. Uh, but you're basically you feel like you're in this chapel when you first get in there, and you get up to. Uh, to this crowd of people, and keep in mind, we're still talking about like the first yeah. ten minutes of the game. Yeah, you get up to this crowd of people, and you want to get into this city because all you know as a player is that you're a guy who had some sort of bad debt that you're trying to get out of, and you've been told that if you go bring this girl back to New York, your debt will be absolved. That is all you know. That is the setup for you to be in this flying city. So you get up to this crowd of people, and you're basically told in order to get into the city, if you want to get into the city, you have to be baptized. Not as Catholics, but baptized as some weird whatever they yeah, are. Yeah, there's. Uh, I have not the church. The Church of Comstock is kind of what it feels like. Yeah, they, they say he's a prophet, but there's never any denomination really. There's no like Christ symbolism or crosses anywhere. They do talk of God. Though. They talk I about mean, God it's a obvi- lot. It's obvious that they're Christian, but they're they're like their own denomination of whatever. Do you think it's obvious they're Christian? Yeah. Why? Because it's well, maybe not Christian. No, I guess I guess that's incor- that's incorrect to say. But there is there is there's a monotheistic. Yes, yes, yes. I would say it, monotheistic. I yeah, would. Yeah, it is some sort of monotheistic religion that they're that they are preaching to. Um, I would. I guess I just coming from my worldview. I'm sure that is why I, I just assumed Christianity. Yeah, certainly a lot of their a lot of the ornate marble tiles and and statues and idols and things like that certainly would fit in a in a Catholic or Christian setting. Certainly. So yeah, I'm not disputing you, but that's interesting when you, you think about it because there are no overt Christian symbols or anything. You just kind of look at us being all, you know, subjective in our worldviews, video game likey. Uh, so, but yeah, so there's this, there's this baptism, uh, that happens and it's, it's, it is the, it is creepy, right? It's, it's creepy. It's very cultish. It's very cultish from the get go. Yeah. And so, and uh, I mean, I think it's, I think it is, uh, debatable as to like what happens during that baptism, but essentially you wake up and you are in the city. And that is where the really the real adventure, the real exploration starts. And it's where you can start. You can just look around. Um, this again, the city is just beautiful. But there's 
you know, you're flying through the sky, so you can look over the side and you can kind of just see clouds. Um, and there are, you know, there's there's hot dog carts and there's shops you can go into. There's there's people sitting around and and talking and and like going about normal daily life, which uh, is an interesting. Uh, it's it's an interesting dichotomy with the very first game with Bioshock because you were entering Rapture after it was done. Like Rapture had fallen, there was n- there was nothing left. There were just crazy people there killing each other. Yeah. But here you are in a a well like thriving city. You you pretty quickly find out that there is some really bad shit going on in the city too. Um, but for the most part, like the inhabitants of this city are happy, and they're like they're they are happy with their their life. Um, it's just this vox populi, this uh, terrorists. I, they're they're basically a, a rebels. like a rebellion. They're rebels, rebels within the city. You you quickly find out that like it's basically a bunch of of African Americans and then African American sympathizers uh, that are members of this vox populi. And they are going to, or already are at war with Comstock. Um, and you quickly find yourself in the middle of this. Although, not, uh, I would say... Maybe not quickly, but you eventually find yourself in the middle yes, of this. You, yes, yes, you eventually. It, it's, it plays a, 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 I guess, logically greater role. Because I'm, I'm playing through for a while and, uh, you know, they keep talking about the Vox Populi. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not one of them, I don't think. So... Let's keep going, and then boom, it, there they are. Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the more interesting aspects of the game, and again, we won't spoil it. Maybe the next time we talk, we can talk about the end and the ending, which, once you get there, I'd love to have a long talk with you about that. Um, but it is interesting that, like, you get there, and, and you're not on Comstock's side, but you also, as a player, don't, like... You don't Maybe care not as a player, but as a character, you're not on the Vox Populi side either. Yeah, like, no, as a character, you don't they, care at all. They do a really good job. Your name is Booker DeWitt. They do a really good job of setting up Booker as this character who, like, he is in there to get this girl Elizabeth. Like, that is what he wants to do, and that's all he wants to do. He does not want to get involved with any other shit. Now he will do whatever it takes to get off of this floating city with her, uh, but he he's not going to take any kind of moral side anywhere. He's not really moral, uh... He doesn't seem like a very moral guy. He's very... He he doesn't remind me of Han Solo, but there's a a character he reminds me of... Oh, he reminds me of, um, of Bronn from Game of Thrones. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, he's definitely... It's pretty obvious he's in it for himself, yeah. right? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, um... You still don't know anything about this debt. Like, you really don't know anything about him. You just know that he's... He's kind of in it for himself. Um... So, but anyway, like the like again, going back to that first the first forty five minutes. So you're looking around, and then we we already touched a, li- a little bit um, upon this out of place music, but it is one of the most glorious pieces of music in a video game I can think of, and it's this barbershop quartet version of of the Beach Boys' "God Only Knows," and it is it is beautiful my god is it beautiful i didn't even identify that as beach boys well done yeah it's yeah it's beach boys uh and and they just they fly up and the thing is is like i guess technically you could miss them or you could just run right by them but 
you're just walking by and you hear the sound of like an airship and then very quickly you start hearing singing and you look around and I mean shame on you if you're not looking around when you're playing this game <laughs> yeah, you have to look but, around a lot but you like look around and you see this ship floating up and you just walk over towards it and you know like any good game designers you walk over since that's where the sound is coming from the sound gets louder and you can just watch them sing and you can watch them sing the entire song before they float away and it's like a two and a half minute song you can just stand there and listen to it and it's incredible. And again, it's a song that's completely like out of context in this world. Um, in a version of the song that is... Obviously, it was never recorded as a, as a four-part barbershop, barbershop quartet. That is never how the song was meant to be was, was sung. Right. But, uh, but here it is in this world that way. Um, so, you know, like there's, there's that kind of storytelling. And then, and then you kind of get to the two the tutorial part of the story and what a great tutorial right with the weapons yeah what a great way to present that rather than rather than the way that any other game presents you with a f***ing tutorial and they put a big sign in your face like uh, like aim the reticle at the bad guy press R to to use trigger right like they set this up in the story and that there's this carnival going on with a lottery and at this carnival, you can learn how to use different weapons and different powers. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Okay, I'm talking about... I, I was thinking that you meant when they just hand you your weapon for the first time. No, 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 no. Which is also no. well done, but yes, they present the gun learning as carnival games, and I thought that was quite ingenious. Yeah, and it totally feels like it fits, and like, it's, you know, it, it just... It totally works. It totally works. And there's, there's, uh, in the first game there were plasmids, and this game they're vigors. They are roughly interchangeable. I mean, they like, uh, they're slightly different powers, but for all intents and purposes, they're interchangeable. Um, and there are like spots to to learn how to use vigors here as well. Um, there's a booth that teaches you about voxophones by having Booker, like, accidentally record himself into a voxophone, and it's kind of funny. And then he he plays his own voice back. But then that kind of lets you as the player know, okay, there's going to be recordings here. And you might have already found a few of these voxophones, but it gives you, you know, it lets you know, hey, that's what these things are used for. They are used for people to record their memories on. That's right. So kind of be looking for these. Um, and it's also, like, we're talking about, like, the Vox Populi. This is a carnival run by, you know, the general citizens of... of uh, Columbia. Columbia. And when you go and you go to the like the the gun firing booths, they've got these like horrible old timey like monkey style caric caricatures that like you know you would have seen on Looney Tunes like yeah. racist horribly racist are, caricatures. I I'm uh, surprised they went that far, honestly. Well, I mean it, it's it's in the context of this weird 1900s world. I think it totally works. It, it works, but... It, yeah, yeah, it's pretty it's, offensive. It, I guess it's shocking how raw it is. Yeah. Yeah, and you're shooting at these... these Again, these caricatures that you would see on, like, Looney... On, like, the original Looney Tunes cartoons that, you know, were the horribly racist cartoons. Yeah. Um, and it just totally works. Like, because you see it, and... You see it, and you see it as somebody who uh, is a is a well-adjusted person living in 2013 and you're like this this is creepy yeah like like this makes me uncomfortable that 
that there is like this kind of imagery in this game. Like there were, you know, there was some of that stuff that was that that was visit visibly discomforting to me. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, which was awesome because you know, anytime a game, anytime a game can make you feel anything, like I think that's great. Um, and so you're, you know, you're going through this this area and like you've now you've learned all about the guns and I think I don't know about you but I probably spent an hour and I think I really did spend an hour before I even touched a gun or anything I, in the tutorial in the tutorial and looking around I was gonna say right at uh, and I know you'll you'll explain the gap with this but after this carnival you, you shortly after the carnival you get your weapon for the first time and I, I remember I was struck by the fact that I had probably two hours of gameplay time in a first-person shooter before I got my first weapon, and that was okay. Yeah, it it was okay <laughs> because because we're, this storytelling that we're talking about uh, is is just so well done, and like I I can't emphasize that enough how well done this atmospheric storytelling is. It's all over, and and I I can't even just describe it to you without you like seeing it. Like you as a as a player, you have to see it to believe how much just stuff is packed. It is just packed into this world. Yeah. I, um, I would say, and we can get into this after we get through the first 45 minutes, but I would say that if anybody, I know there's an un, a constantly ongoing debate about whether video games are art or whether video games can be art. And I would say that I, I never really thought about it a whole lot. I, I never really cared. That's not one of my areas of like, hey, let's talk about this. You know, it's it's just whatever. But after playing the first two hours of a first-person shooter where you don't even have a weapon, and I'm voluntarily spending more time exploring it, I would challenge anyone who doesn't think video games are art, if, if you're trying to get, convince somebody that, they, that video games can be art, show them this game. Because just like you were talking about, you get emotional reactions from some of these things, and that's how a lot of people define art is when you get an emotional response to something. And boy, <laughs> between that and the the sheer immersion and the sheer fact that you're walking around a flying fictional city with video game characters and you still feel like you're in the early 19th century or 1900s, uh, what? <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, on the next, you know, down the road on the next podcast, because hopefully you will have completed the game by the next time we record again, right. we can do... We can spoil. We can at that point we can spoil the game, and then if people just don't want to listen to it, they don't. You know, right. don't listen to it yeah. at that point. We'll put it at the butt um, end of a podcast. Yeah, but there's there's a lot more to if if you want to argue, you know, about this this art thing. The the story of this game, the way it is told, I think is just beautiful. Like it, and and you know, you are not through the story yet, so I don't even want to talk about any of that. But I just think it is a very it is a very beautiful story in a style of game that typically just does not have beautiful stories. First person shooters are just not meant uh, not meant to, but they they're just not uh not known for this type of storytelling and this quality of storytelling. Yeah, you you uh, texted me and said uh, you said something like I I played I finished the game and it was you said something and you said it was a spiritual experience. Yeah. And yeah, I, it re- it really felt that way. Like I it it seriously it was the it was the kind of game where um, and I, I don't think this will be spoiling anything, but I had a reaction to this game 
uh, and the like the actions I took after I completed this game were the same as when I watch a uh, an an incredibly engaging and and moving and and the best made films that I watch. Yeah. So like I my reaction at the end of this game, what I did after I was done playing the game was exactly what I do at the end of of what I think are the best movies that I watch. So, um, you know, you can take that for what it is, but like that to me is a pretty clear indicator because that reaction I don't think I've ever had at the end of a video game before, ever, except for maybe the original Bioshock. And it wasn't that, it wasn't nearly as strong as it was at the end of this game. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm excited to finish it. <laughs> yeah. So continue so, talking about the opening. Sure. So, uh, and then, and then, so like you're done, now you're done with the carnival and you like, you, you keep going and all you know, and there's some other weird shit going on too, because you, you get in there and you get a telegram and the telegram tells you not to pick 77. You don't know anything. Like you don't know anything. You don't know any, anything about this world, but somebody has sent you a telegram, uh, named Lutess and it says, you know, don't pick 77. So yeah, that's kind of weird. And, and then you're like walking through the, the, the world a little bit more and you see a sign that says, you know, beware the false shepherd. And it says he will have a mark on his hand. And it just shows a picture of, of a guy with the mark AD on his hand. And Booker holds up his hand and he's got AD in his, it carved into his hand. He's like, what the hell is going on? So like, there are a few little cues that, that happen in this first 45 minutes where you're like, okay, uh, so this world seems awesome, but it also seems like there's something really, really weird happening, uh, as well. And then, and then you get to to the point where the game opens up and turns into a first person shooter, uh, and and it's the it's the lottery scene, and so there is a scene where you enter this crowd of people, and it is the is it an annual lottery? I think it is. I think, I think so. It. Yeah, yeah. They call it like an annual lottery, and somehow you get chosen to 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 choose a ball, and out of bizarre circumstances, uh you are chosen to, to to throw the first ball. You don't even know what you're doing. You just know that you've won something. And it turns out that that what you have been chosen for is is something horrible. So, and I, I mean, I don't want to give away, because, like, that is, it's a very jarring scene, and I don't want to give that scene away. So, uh, like, you're, like, you're chosen to do something horrible, and you can make a choice at that point. Um, but the result is the same no matter what you choose and it becomes it becomes apparent that you are no longer welcome in this city uh, and that's when like the kind of ultra violence begins yeah yeah it goes uh, from 0 to 60 in about 2 seconds it's as quick as you can go it's it, like the game st- the game starts and turns into a shooter as fast as i think any you could do it in a game in the first weapon they give you i mean you're you're decapitating people you're, it's it's violent yeah, there, is, there's a lot of blood everywhere. Yeah, it is absolutely brutal. That is that is true. <laughs> um, so so anyway, like that's that is that is like the start of the game. And the thing about this this like storytelling that we're talking about is they give you such a great this long luxurious amount of time, um, but they still continue to have all of those details in the rest of the game. It just also happens to have a shooter going on at the same time. But there are still plenty of little, like, 
Easter egg storytelling pieces that you that like you as the player need to make sure to look around for because it is what again it is what it is what colors this world it is what like immerses you as Booker DeWitt in this weird uh, you know like non utopian dystopia uh, world in in that's starting to fall like world in in ruin type thing yeah I would call it a dystopia I think that's fair yeah so it just it is so well done, and again, there's so much more. There is like, this is just the tip of of what I really want to talk about with this game. Just the just the tip. Just the of tip. What I really, yeah, it, and it feels so good. It feels, it feels real so good. good. You just want to keep going, but we. I just want to keep going, but this is just the tip because I, you know, I I don't want to I don't want to ruin all of you. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I'm keeping it at just the tip for you. <laughs> I'll say, uh, yeah, I'll I'll say, and you loved it, right? I mean, you you're I, you're raving about it. I loved it. I thought it was. I thought it was wonderful. Yeah. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I love it too. So far, um, I didn't like. What are the powers in this one again? Vigors. Vigor. I I didn't like the introduction of vigors because I feel like you're a guy. You're from the regular, you know, early 1900s. You're chilling. You find a floating city. You don't seem phased by it, and then suddenly you have these magic powers essentially, and there's no real reaction to that. That left me a little wanting, I guess. Because with the plasmids in the original Bioshock, you guys like, what the hell is this? And and I remember they, they play a whole big scene about it. And in the fr- of- when you get your first plasmid in the original Bioshock, you get knocked out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you get like, you, you fall unconscious and you, you know, you, you're told by, I want to say it's, uh, it's At- Atlas, I think, uh, like is talking to you and he says, you know, the first one's always the worst. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you literally get knocked out. In this one, you kind of see a weird cutscene, and then suddenly you you have this power. I agree. It's a little. I guess it's a little disjarring. Yeah, I, I just thought that was a little um, incoherent, and and that's shocking because everything else in the game is so well done so far. And I don't. And based on what you've said, it continues to be that well done. Uh, you know, everything. The continuity is is good. Everything is is so fluid. But that one part, I could get... And, and the same with my first weapon. Because the weapon you use for your melee weapon is like a hook kind of a thing that ends up being kind of important later in that you use. But at the start of the game... I mean, I, you use it on the skylines, which I think that's also something that was in the demo. So the... the okay. You end up getting like this magnetic hook. And the magnet that you have attaches to these skylines. Yeah. That, and that is how you move around the city. Is, is by these skylines. That is one of the methods you use. Yeah, but um, you know, with with that, you just kind of you kill a guy. I don't even remember how, but you brutally kill a guy or two, and then just reach down, kind of grab his giant weird claw hook thing, and you're using it like like you're riding a bicycle. Then I'm like, where did that come from? What the hell is this? We'll and have to keep you... we'll have to keep talking about the game next time. Oh, oh all right. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, and then you know, and then you run up to a guy, hold triangle, and suddenly you're you know you're drilling something into his neck. But I feel like you make you make some really crazy punctures and lacerations and things, and you're basically cutting people's heads off with 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 your claw at, at several points. But you never really see the end result. You know, like you kind of grab them, you're kind of chainsawing somebody's face, and then you fling them off frame in like two frames and then they're gone and you don't really see like their head come off or 
tons. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird the way that those I, animations work. What do you? You know, I, I read some. I read some stuff about uh, about people people feeling that like the 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 violence was unnecessary. Um, like the level of violence was unnecessary. I almost wonder if you know, and maybe we're getting too meta and too like up. Maybe I am getting too meta and too like up my own ass about it. Hmm. But I almost wonder if it's like a commentary by the director of the game about maybe first person shooters or about this like this world in general and the and the kind of the horrors of this world in general. Uh because after completing the game and seeing seeing just how much uh attention was was put on like the details that they thought of, it, it I guess it, it just doesn't I don't think I wouldn't put it past them to have that actually have a have a reason why it's that violent. Yeah, when the, it, it doesn't necessarily need to be. You think that the over the top um, presentation may have been intentional? Yeah, exactly. Like it's meant to be a little uh, uh, discomforting. I, I was actually thinking about you specifically while playing parts of this game because it it does not cross. As good as the art and as good as the graphics are, it never crosses the uncanny valley, um, which we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, I think it's because mm-hmm. I think it's because they kept kind of cartoon. They kept cartoony graphics a little bit, right? Uh, that and like your your big bad enemies are all basically non-humans. Yeah, exactly. But but I, I was struck by that, and and for those listeners who missed our last uh, the last time we discussed this, the uncanny valley is when something. You know, a, a CG character looks so real that they look like a human, and it's kind of uncomfortable almost. Um, like with the new demo, uh, what company was it? There, was it, um, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's one of the, EA, I believe, released a demo of some guy's head that looks completely real. That that looks like a person's head, yeah. Yeah, and it, I did see that. it's freaky. Because you're like, how is this not a person? Because it's perfect. It's right. almost perfectly done. So that's the Uncanny Valley, and this this does have a more cartoony style. And I think that um, some I, we've seen this in video games before, where they go with a more cartoony uh, kind of artistic style because the subject matter is so serious that to go all in would be too much for a lot of players. Like Final Fantasy Tactics has an incredibly adult storyline. Like talks about the church, you become a heretic. Uh, there's deception. There's assassinations. There's a there's scenes with blood. There's scenes where they're cutting each other, and pools of blood are appearing. It's it's not a kid friendly game, but it's presented with cartoony sprites where you have big heads. So- yeah, but it's not just like this is subject matter that I think you know that yes that is an adult that is an adult story. But we're talking about subject matter here that is like that is racially offensive exactly that is religiously offensive yeah to people and I, I mean that is you know good on them for for like even just exploring those themes in their game um but yeah having this cartoony style makes those a little more approachable i think yeah yeah abs- yes absolutely uh, more accessible and all that stuff um so um but i, I did it's funny that that actually struck me while playing the game because I'm like, I, I, I would kind of like to see it more real, but I think if they got more real, it would be too much. Because we already got an emotional reaction from cartoony-looking posters of, of really offensive stuff. 
Yeah, and and not to mention like you put you put realistic character models and then you put that over the top violence in it. it it's almost it, to me that would almost be like sickening. Yeah. Like I again, I I see this ultra violence and and for me it feels it really does feel like a commentary on like first person shooters and on this dystopian city. But if I saw that as like real human beings, I would just think, "Oh, they're just they're just going to like try to make this look as violent as possible." Yeah. Like I just wouldn't. I don't think I would see it the same way. Even if you don't like first-person shooters, and and I I have been quoted as saying I don't because I don't. I don't like first-person shooters. They are w- one of my least favorite genre of games. But the storytelling is so good, and the first-person shooting is is also very well done. Uh, it, this game is like a must-play. I think if you are a fan of video games. Like, video games in general, I really feel like this is a must-play game. Even if it's a game that's, like, outside of your comfort zone, outside of something you would normally play. I really think that everybody should play this game. Do you, um... Do you think it's groundbreaking? I think maybe in terms of its storytelling, um, it... At the same time, it's a lot like Bioshock in the way that it tells its story. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a more refined version of that. Uh, but it, it does do it in kind of a similar way. So I, Bioshock to me is also a must play. Yeah, sure. Um, oh yeah, the original, I would say so, yeah, if you know how to play it the right way especially. I think the right way, you know. Uh, yeah, so, so I mean, it, you know, but, like, it, it does, it doesn't do it. Well, we'll talk, we'll talk next time because I don't, because, because, you know, I want to talk about the differences in story. Right. Uh, and I do, and in order to do that, I would have to get specific about infinite, and I don't want to get specific about inter, uh, infinite yet. Right. So uh, I I do want to talk about one more thing, and you're gonna think this is so stupid. You're going you're going to think this is so stupid, but I think it's done. I think it's dumb. Oh, it's I'm it's done. dumb. It's dumb. But you know who does the voice of the main character in this game? No. It's the guy who voiced Snow in Final Fantasy Thirteen. Is it really? You didn't notice that? Thank God I did not make that connection. See, when I and played it, through this, it game has once. ruined him for me. It has taken, it has significantly taken enjoyment out of this game for me. And because all you can see is his stupid blonde hair. Yeah, be, be, first of all, I don't think. He, so here's the thing: pretty much all the video game and cartoon characters in America are voiced by like thirty people. Okay, you hear the same voices over and over and over especially in video games I actually had this complaint about Ninja Gaiden 3 because he was also the voice of Snow so the guy that did Snow one of the main characters in Final Fantasy 13 was also the main character in Ninja Gaiden the main character in this Bioshock game you can go on his IMDB I don't know the guy's name but I guarantee you he's been in several other big budget video games probably this year I mean, I'm sure he was like in, you know, like the Fallout games as well as some voices, you know, and then the, yeah. Yeah, he was probably in Fallout, Borderlands, Call of Duty, you name it. You name the series, and this guy's probably done it. That's just how voice acting works. But I hate that because I don't think he was, I wouldn't have picked him for the role. I don't like the voice actor, the main character in Bioshock Infinite. And and maybe that has to do with my, um, you know, with my severe preconceived, uh, you know, opinions on that character in Final Fantasy XIII, but I I really wish that 
it wasn't him. <laughs> and see, and see that again. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you that that's dumb because he he doesn't. He and Elizabeth, uh, as voice actors, do an amazing job. They do an absolutely amazing job. See, and I actually don't love Elizabeth's voice. I think it's a little over dramatic. And we can talk about that. I don't, I don't want to talk too much about Elizabeth because she's such a significant portion of the story. Yeah, yeah. I, I, won't, uh, I don't want to say much about her. Um, but I don't think it's a spoiler for people to know that there is a character named Elizabeth in the game. Um, but I, I don't love the voice acting. That, that's the one thing I, I will say about this game that I don't love. I don't think the guy's voice was right for this part. It, it's just not gritty enough. It's not... It, it's a little too dramatic in the way that I don't like I, I just don't like his voice and and this goes with movies sometimes you'll see a movie and there's an actor that plays a character you hate and he does it so well that you see other movies with that actor and you hate that actor you know what I'm talking about yeah so that's how I am at with video games now I can't escape this guy and I know I won't and I'm not trying to knock him I'm not saying he's not talented or not good but but I didn't like him in this role he was good as Snow, but Snow is not really a lovable character because he's not from a totally lovable game series. Um, yeah, it distracted me. So the next time you play through it, now uh, you're welcome. Now you get to realize that it's Snow. And I, I definitely will be playing through this game again. Um, the last the last tip I'll give to you, uh, uh, listener, before we, we kind of wrap it up here in terms of of Elizabeth, because again, it's not a spoiler that she's in the game. Um, she's been teased uh, since the start of of trailers for the game. Um, I would just encourage you to pay as close attention to her as you're playing through the game um, as you can, because she has these amazing contextual behaviors. Yes. On everything like all this great stuff we're talking about like seen in the environment Elizabeth like reacts to all of it and it is incredible it is yeah. like I as far as NPCs go I have never felt so much like I a real person was was with me she feels like a real person she feels like yeah. a real person would react to the situations you're in so I'll just leave it at that you know, again, we can talk about that stuff later. Just pay attention to her because the uh, the care and detail that has been put into her character is astounding, and it is so apparent. Somebody on Twitter, I don't remember who, but I saw somebody that I followed tweeting that they ha- believe they're actually in love with Elizabeth. Uh, There's some guy, he was just like, favorite video game character of all time, think I'm actually in love with a video game character now. So... I don't know what that means. It means uh, that she, I, you know what it means. It means that she is a very well realized character. Is what it means. Yeah, She's, it must. I mean, it really must. So there you go. Uh, we will we'll have to talk about the ending in a, in a couple of weeks because I'm supposedly moving into a new apartment at the end of the month, maybe or something. So I don't know what my schedule will be like. Look at us, but, real world problems. Right. So uh, yeah, beyond packing, I will. I will try to squeeze in as much of this game as possible between packing, but I, I'm probably 10 hours in. It's probably maybe a 20-hour game, a little less maybe. It's less than that. It's it's about it's yeah. 12 to 14. Yeah. Somewhere no, I've there. spent a lot of time looking around right. and stuff, so it could take me a little longer, but I'm at least halfway through. Knowing sure. where you're at, you're, yeah, you're, you're more than halfway. Yeah, so... 
I will definitely get to it, but, and, I, and I like playing it. But so yeah, that's yeah. two. That's kind of two ringing endorsements, and I mean, we very rarely play the same game. That's yeah. That's also you know something uh, for this podcast. So you know the fact that we're both playing it, and the fact that we can both talk so highly of it, I think that's a pretty ringing endorsement that like you need to play this game on any kind of any way you can get your hands on it. Yeah, well, when you see reviews that good, you want to you want to look at those reviews, then look at the game, turn it on, play a little bit, and at what point do you realize you're playing something special? And I think it was about 10 minutes for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And I think that's what really supports the whole um everything that's been said about it. So, yeah, pick it up if you haven't. We'll talk uh, we'll get into the nitty-gritty in a couple weeks. Um, but until then, you can find follow us at uh, videogamepodcast.tumblr.com. And you can also find John and my Twitter handles on there. So please, uh, yeah, do that. Follow us. Subscribe on iTunes as well because you can do Yeah, and, and tweet us. Twat us. We love, Is that the past tense of tweet? I don't think that's – no, that's not uh, it's not it. Twat us, listeners. No, songbird us. See what I did there? I do see what you did there. Do you? I do. I don't.